the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been thinking about sort of a Christmas message these days, you know, with so much going on, so busy, life is so hectic in everyone's lives. You know, I'm at the stage of my life where my children are, um, my oldest is 19, uh, 19, yeah, 19, and then down 17, uh, 15, and uh, 11, going to be 12 in a a month or so, and very busy, very busy, like everybody. But I got friends and colleagues that their children are really young. You know, while you hear um, Ryan Hyde, our communications director, his his children are, you know, down younger and, and there's a different uh, kind of Christmas thing. And then now friends and come Ace and Mohan, our own um, newly he's newlywed and his family's just about to start. Everybody's in different spots, but you get to the spot you're in and it's where you are. And I've been thinking about it for Christmas. Because, you know, like everybody, how do you keep the focus on Christmas on what's happening, you know, on on the truth of of the incarnation and in this also crazy time with politics? Right. We're turning the calendar into 2024 and eh, pretty legitimately, it feels like this one is a big, big year. Um, We don't know what's going to happen. Really don't know. And then and then on top of that, laid over the top of that is the social media thing. And, and then the, the, the hangover from covid where people are still sort of recovering socially and, and interrelated. So a lot. Of, how do you keep the focus on uh, your faith and on uh, Christmas? And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. One of the things this year that we did better than we'd ever done is way ahead of time. I don't know why my wife and I in the summer looked at the calendar and said, how can we plan for Christmas and get scheduled some things that will make a difference in terms of putting our minds into the spirit of the, of the season, which we never do. We, we've never planned. It's called planning ahead. It, it may have been because of our daughter being away at college. We suddenly realized when she comes home, you only have a window where you can see her. And so you better do stuff together as a family and plan ahead. And, and actually, last summer, we did that to make sure we had a, a family vacation. Uh, but in this case, for Christmas, we looked at the calendar and we added into the calendar and went out and bought tickets. We bought tickets to um, the Nutcracker um, at the uh, at the, the Kennedy Center, which is a big production. Um, we went we bought tickets to A Christmas Carol uh, performed at Ford's Theater, the, the famous theater where Lincoln was assassinated, had been a very vibrant theater uh, before. That's why the president was there. And also it went into um, a disrepair for a couple of decades after uh 
his murder there. But then it became a, a museum, but also became a theater again and very active. And so we went and so we did the, these two events. And then within our church community, we, we had a couple of different um events. Uh, one uh, was a, a Christmas drive uh, for food for, uh, um, you know, a, a poor people and, and gathering food. And and uh, the kids volunteered to be a part of that. And then we've just made it a point of trying to do more uh, with the uh, with our church. So we kind of did it. But here's what I want to tell you. We kind of did it um, in the sense that um, the, the, the we, we did we, the Nutcracker was early in December. Um, and like the first day or first, second day that our daughter was home. So maybe not early, maybe it was like the 10th or 11th of December. And then the a Christmas Carol was around, um, the 20th or so. I can't remember exactly, but both of them did a wonderful job of kind of, we had to get dressed up nice. We had dinner at home. We didn't go out to dinner, but we had dinner at home, but we'd, we'd have dinner early at home in both cases. Well, in the case of the Nutcracker dinner early, because it was a seven o'clock show in the case of the, um, of the uh, Christmas Carol, we went to a two o'clock showing, uh, and we then went and got pizza on the way home from that. But both of them were wonderfully done. Both were wonderfully done. And I mentioned the uh, volunteering at our church, which the kids actually really had a good time because they had had some new have some new friends there. And so, and you know, the oldest, our daughter, is always uh, she's she's always looking to meet Mister Wright. As a church groups are good ones, so she was she was energized. Anyway, we we somehow did it, and. I was late to put up Christmas lights because I hate Christmas lights. That's another story. So that, that didn't, that wasn't the festive part. My favorite part of the Christmas lights is a few years ago, I bought one of those, um, cutouts, wood cutouts, uh, and it's a cutout of, um, Santa, uh, kneeling before the baby Jesus. You know, that image that you see so popularly. I love that because I love the idea of in the Santa fervor. Actually, my wife put me onto it. The, the, my wife, that's her favorite image, uh, is the, is because in the fervor of Christmas, it makes you, you crazy, um, to see the commercialism and we fall into it. We have more stupid gifts that keep coming and my wife keeps ordering and these kids have everything under the sun, but here we are. Um, and that's, so I love that. That's the only lights I like. So we're late with lights that didn't matter, but somehow we did it where we were, we've all been thinking, we all were thinking about Christmas and about what it means. Now over the top of that was uh, uh, my wife's one of her good friends facing a serious health issue and my parents and my wife's parents. So my in-laws being in their eighties and uh, my dad turned 80 this year. Actually, my mother will turn 80 next year. My in-laws are a couple of years older than that. And realizing that, you know, um, time is uh, finite when it comes to people like that in your life. And so somehow we kind of got this. And what I want to tell you is I want to make an argument for scheduling these things that are valuable whether it's the Nutcracker, Christmas Carol, uh, participating at your church, schedule them into your life as a way to uh, beat back the frenetic quality of, you know, social media and streaming and all these things, because it is frenetic. It's wild how fast and nobody's Im- nobody's immune from it. You could say, well, I don't use my phone very much or I, I monitor my kids usage. Fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the pace of life. The pace of life is frenetic. And so this Christmas, I keep thinking about this, slow it down. And the way to slow it down counterintuitively is schedule stuff, schedule stuff, put them in your schedule. And so that's my pitch uh, to you. That's my uh, lesson learned. And that's my uh, uh, kind of encouragement. The other thing, the other lesson similar is 
We do this prayer call every Friday, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles Prayer for America. It's at 10 a.m. Central Time. And you know what? When you schedule it, prayer, it, it it's another part for me. It's another part of my whole week. I'm thinking of that prayer I'm thinking, who's got prayer requests? Who can I, uh, you know, a couple days before the most recent prayer uh, call, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. She's an extraordinary woman, and she's starting a, um, a university to teach science. She's a scientist to teach science and, and to teach it from an explicitly Christian tradition, not and not separated and not secularized and not driven. away. And she, anyway, extraordinary lady. She's waiting on accreditation and she's been thinking about it. And she said to me, will you pray? Will you pray for it? And I said, yeah, you bet. And I've been thinking about it. So, and because I had the prayer call scheduled, it says every week, 10 o'clock central time, I thought that's coming. And I can put, I can put that into my life as a focus and it works. It works really well. So feel free to join us, by the way, put that. If you want to put that into your schedule, I'm we I'm scheduling it for you. We run it out of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles uh, uh, programs and you can easily come in there, you know, every every Friday or every other Friday or every fifth Friday. We're there every Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, Central Time and uh, just email uh, me or Ryan or uh, Mason and we'll get you the information so you can join in. So that's my point. Now, you ready for the blow you away insight that I came away with on this? The reason, the reality, that's better, of God sending his son to become man in the incarnation, this miracle that's at the heart of Christ's birth. It's not just that a really great baby was born and a really great baby was born and had a really great life and gave us a lot of great teachings. That's not what happened. What happened was God sent his son, became man, the incarnation, God as man. He, he came down to be like us. Exactly like us, except he's also God. And that's a mystery, right? It's a mystery that's often a challenge for people to uh, figure out, to contemplate. But here's the key. It didn't happen in a book. It didn't happen in a theory. It didn't happen in a movie, a made for TV movie. It wasn't a tweet or an X post. It wasn't a, a sub stack. It was in time, in time in history, in the history of us uh, today is one day tomorrow's another day i'm in time i'm in history what happened was one day there was not god as man and the next day there was it happened in time there was a, a man who is god who lived for 30 plus years and walked the earth in time just like us which makes our time so special what makes our time not just you know something we have to get through to get to heaven or to get to our fulfillment, however you want to understand what what uh, unity with Christ would be in heaven or you know in, in salvation. It's we are granted we are in time precisely as an echo of the incarnation of God becoming man, which is why scheduling things. For me to, to do these events that point us, you know, this church volunteer thing I mentioned that was so wonderful, Christmas Carol, the Nutcracker. I didn't think I'd like the Nutcracker, by the way. The first act was pretty terrible. I thought too busy and crazy. The second act was all these extraordinary gifted um, uh, dancing moves. I didn't think I'd ever like it. It was wonderful. It was amazing and very spiritual is the wrong word, but very soulful. Amazing. So schedule it. And when you think about the holiness of the day of the holidays, the holy days, think about what a gift they are in time because, not because of God's goodness to us, that's true, but because he sent his son to be among us. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, not was around other people, was thoughtful, was among us. That's my message for this Christmas season. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our friend Scott Phelps joins us and uh, many things we can talk about uh, with Scott and uh, his website. Let me get it right. AMPartnership.org. AMPartnership.org. First of all, welcome back, Scott. How are you? Great, Ed. Thanks so much for having me. Love your show. Well, thank you. You're nice to say, and thanks for making time to come on uh, so frequently. So uh, you're, you're one of your team, uh, Noah, sent over this piece that ran on Yahoo News. I think it actually was in the newspaper in Ohio. How is sex ed taught in your district? Search the data. And then they talk, they're talking about Ohio. Um, and I guess my question, Scott, is, is that searchable for people? Can they, can they find it, um, easily everywhere? Or is it complicated or is it somehow, how do you go about that? It's very complicated. And here's the reason why it's complicated. Uh, besides the, the details, if there isn't a school in America, Ed, that will say we don't teach abstinence, that's not the issue. The issue is what do you mean? See what I mean? They play games, right? Yep, yep, yep. Everyone everyone will say it, but what does I mean? Planned Parenthood will say they teach abstinence, but what do they mean? Right. And what they mean is, you know, don't have sexual intercourse, but here's all the other things that you can do. And it's really a harmful message. And so, you know, for a school to say we teach abstinence doesn't really tell you anything. What we're looking for is do they teach abstinence until marriage? And do they reject harmful sex education messaging? That's what we're actually looking for. But parents can absolutely talk to their school. And again, it's not enough to simply say, hey, principal, health teacher, do you guys teach absence? They will always say yes. It's let me see the material that you're teaching my kid. Yeah. The problem with this is, if I can say, um, is so many people like I thought I thought that the pandemic was going to be like this breakthrough because people were people looked closely at what their kids were doing in school, especially public schools, but even private schools. And they said, what is this? I want to I want something better. And they started to be energized and then they just got busy and everybody's busy. A lot of people. I, we have a friend of our family, my wife and I, and they, the good people, they're solid citizens. And they they move their kids to a private uh, school, religious school for about a year, maybe two. Then they went back to the public school. And when you. You ask them, they, as you just said, they will, they're not unconcerned. They're not unkind. They're not uncharitable. They don't, they don't hate their children, but they ask a question in parent teacher meetings, you know, like, oh, do you teach abstinence? And they say yes. And they, and then they move on because you don't know the sophistication of of the question, which brings me to this point question. Scott Phelps is our guest again, and I'll put up a, a link up on the website for uh, his work over at uh, a, it's ampartnership.org. Um, and you can learn all about the, the resources and lots of resources there. But the, but the question I have here is that um, it's the abstinence and marriage education partnership. I should keep I keep doing the abbreviation. The thing looking at my notes thinking I need to make sure to say that. Um, are there are there elected officials and public leaders that are are helping to uh, change the dynamic. In other words, you know, uh, uh, could could your state school board member um, demand that something else be taught? And will they do that? Yeah, absolutely. They can and should, you know, and, and we really want to educate and equip and help. Exactly. That's our point, because as I've mentioned before, the problem is never the kids. It's always the administrators. We've got to get the administrators to understand what's going on, even in the classroom. Administrators and teachers need to understand uh, teachers and school board members. So our whole work really is 
isn't to get to the kids. It's to get to the administrators, the teachers, the parents, and help them understand the proper messaging we need to be providing for our kids. And then we equip them to do just that, because it's really important that our kids have a clear, undiluted, truthful message on the benefits of reserving all sexual activity for marriage. It's a message that they just don't get in the vast majority of schools in America. And that's our our whole program is about solutions, providing if you want a solution for what ails us, if you want to strengthen the institution of marriage, in our culture today, it begins in the classroom. And that's what we're after is helping those teachers teach our kids well, helping parents understand what's being taught so that they can be a be a voice for what's right and true for their kids. You know, a few years ago, we're talking, we're talking with Scott Phelps and about his work uh, at the Absence and Marriage Education Partnership, uh, talking about absence education and and the resource available if you go to ampartnership.org. Um, Scott, a few years ago, maybe 10 now, um, our mutual friend Kathleen Sullivan uh, introduced me to this topic and gave me a bunch of the books, um, gave me a bunch of the uh, curriculum. And yeah. a lot of it is so good. I mean, I'm all of it's good, you know what I mean? But some of it is, and some of it still around my house and in our family, um, people can use it to do their own teaching, right? I mean, that, you know, we want our schools to to do it. We want our schools to be better. But, you know, this may be the way that you're sort of managing whatever the chaos is, wherever your kids are, whether it's at school or on social media, and, uh, and either supplement that or replace it. Well, what I tell parents is you can't hope that your kids know this stuff. You've got to know that they know it and you've got to know that they know it because you taught it to them. Hmm. And so regardless of what they're getting in school, if they're getting our program in school, great, still reinforce it at home. But especially if they're not getting our program at school, you need to do it at home. Now, our curriculum they can get at successsequence.com. That's another website or they can get to us through the primary. But successsequence.com, they can order the materials, uh, all the curriculum curriculum and we have online learning programs for the kids. This is great for homeschoolers because we have a video teaching that goes along chapter by chapter. We walk the kids through the program, but we're passionate that kids have the opportunity to learn these things. So we want to equip parents, as you say, to do just that either teach it at home or reinforce it at home. But we've got to make sure that our kids aren't being indoctrinated into harmful sex education by their schools. Uh, Scott Phelps, again, our guest and uh, and uh, the the uh, ampartnership.org, uh, the, uh, you can go there and see a lot of this curriculum. Are you kind of turning the uh, calendar year, 23 to 24. Um, Scott, are you optimistic uh, about the state of, uh, of abstinence and marriage education? Are you, um, you know, kind of uh, challenged? You see it's, it's uh, you know, sliding. I, I, I remember just last week, was it, um, uh, oh, the Republicans were, we're up on Capitol Hill. This was a, maybe I should ask you about this. Republican consultants were up saying what we need is a mandatory or not mandatory. We need you know, maybe mandatory uh, covered contraceptives that we're going to cover the cost of contraceptives. Republicans should pay for that uh, under whatever Title Nine. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is just another way for Planned Parenthood to get more money of our tax dollars. Are you optimistic, pessimistic? Are you what's your sense of the state of the country on on your on your um, work. 
Well, if I wasn't eternally optimistic, I <laughs> yeah. done with it a long time ago. <laughs> Never get out of bed. Yeah, exactly. I know. I've had my foot on the gas pedal for the last 20 years, and I'm not letting up, Ed. We've got to get this message out. So, no, I'm seriously optimistic that we can do this, and we must do this. It's not an option, really. Uh, we, we've got to get this message to a new generation of American youth, and contraception is exactly the wrong message. Uh, maybe shoot me an email offline what you know about that, because yeah. I want to pursue that. It's an absolutely wrong message. This is a subject for another show, Ed, because the contraceptive message is what's killing our kids, killing our country. It's not good. It isn't. It isn't. Um, all right. Well, any any uh, deep thoughts for the new year? That's, uh, that's my last thing is I've been asking guests. What do you what do you think? Twenty twenty four. Any ways people should be thinking either about your issues or about more broadly? You're someone I consider uh, has great wisdom. So uh, what do you what do you what do you see for twenty twenty four? Well, I guess I would say be excited to be alive at a time like this. Because mm-hmm. our actions are, are consequential and monumental. And I think that there is an opportunity in front of us, uh, as it says in the book of Esther, for such a time as this, for good people to step up and be a tremendous help, especially to a new generation of American youth. They need us now more than ever. And the opportunity uh, ahead of us is huge. Well, there you go. Uh, thank you, Scott Phelps. Best of luck in the new year uh, and to you and uh, uh, for the Christmas and all the holidays. We very much appreciate your voice out uh, with us. And I will make sure to put up on uh, social media links to uh, the, both the curriculum that Scott mentioned as well as uh, the website there. And again, there's a lot of resources there. I've I, More than once, I've sent uh, different families to to the site to find things, and they, they come away edified and uh, well-served. So thanks again, Scott. Excellent. Thanks. Take care. All right. Uh, Scott Phelps, everybody. Again, um, his work is over at the American, excuse me, the Abstinence uh, AM, Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership, ampartnership.org on the website there. And I give a shout out to our old friend Noah. I mentioned Noah Dingley. He's a longtime producer of the program, uh, my show, uh, when he was a radio professional. Now he's working as a communications uh, guy and uh, really good at it over with the Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership. So he's been uh, uh, great. And it's it's funny because I've known Noah for years and known Scott Phelps for years in different worlds. And those worlds have collided. I don't know. I'm not going to go all the way to say Reese's peanut butter cups, but it's something. It's something good that happens. So there you have it. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. Uh, and I'll put those links up on social media. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, I, of course, uh, hail from St. Louis, Missouri, across the river. And my former boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, spent most of her life in Alton, Illinois. And nowadays, Phyllis, Phyllis Schlafly might have been the last uh, uh, great thing to come out of Illinois. That's not fair. There's some other things, too. But there's a lot of bad stuff there. Uh, our next guest is Stephen Williford, and he is the author of a book called A Town Called Sutherland Springs, Faith and Heroism Through Tragedy, uh, available anywhere you buy books. You can go over on Amazon. You'll see it there. And he also is uh, a, a, a spokesman and helps the Gun Owners of America, great group, gunowners.org. Uh, welcome, sir. How are you? I am doing excellent this beautiful day. 
Well, th- thank you for taking some time for us. Um, what's going on in Illinois uh, in terms of uh, the law? What do you see? What's the reaction? And maybe maybe a little differently, I- I'll tell you, I'll put this out there. Feels like, I'm not saying it's true, feels like um, gun owners and, and the people that respect Second Amendment are as strong as ever, but quieter, it feels like. But go ahead. What's going on in Illinois? We, well, we have uh, we won it in a lower court uh, to overturn the assault weapons ban and high capacity magazine ban, as they call them. Right. We like to call it the sporting rifle ban because right. it's modern sporting rifles and standard capacity magazines, because that's what they are. The rifles meant to t- take them. Uh, but. We won it in a lower court, and right. then it went forward to the uh, to a higher court, where uh, it suffered a loss on a three to four uh, ruling. Decision. Right. So they said that it could go forward. Well, two of the three judges. So, so the lawsuits filed basically against the governor. Right. The three judges, they got um, over seven million dollars in campaign Hmm. donations by the governor and another plaintiff in the or another defendant in this case. So they should two of those judges that voted to um, continue with it should have recused themselves. And so we pushed it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, basically, we tried to get an emergency stay because all those people that have AR-15s or high capacity or standard capacity magazines, all those people now on January 1st, if they get caught, they will have a felony on their Mm. record. Mm. Well, the Supreme Court is going to hear part of that on January the 6th. We were trying to get an emergency stay against it. Hmm. Uh, the Supreme Supreme court likes to see things work through the lower courts before they take it on. Yeah. And so the Supreme court, uh, basically said, no, we're going to hear something on it on January 6th. And they aren't going to prevent that from being enacted before then. So Um, January one, if you have not registered your, uh, AR-15, AK-47, or anything, or your magazines, then you could be charged with a felony. And we think that that is ridiculous. And uh, we think that we Bruin that we are actually going to get it overturned anyway. So... um is the is the in this case is is the hope resting in the federal courts getting to federal court to get uh, relief g- going up when, or are you trapped in state court? What's the status? I mean, that, that you know, sometimes, as you say, the the courts will want to wait. They won't want to jump in until it's sort of run its course out. Well, it's it's Illinois court. It's state court at this point, like I say, and and two of the judges uh, and and it it. it Basically, they stopped the stay of it. Uh, And two of the judges, two of the four judges um, really should have recused themselves because you receive seven million dollars for your campaign contributions. Right. uh, From the people that you're judging on, of course, you're going to find in their favor. 
because the next election you want a, a contribution again and and it's just really uh, it should be against the law and those judges should be held responsible for that for not recusing themselves uh, our, our again our guest uh, uh, with us is the author of a book and uh, Stephen Williford um, and of course a town called Sutherland Springs 2017 the uh, tragedy that happened there at the First Baptist Church um, and he's become a spokesman on this also by the way you can check out his his work uh, if you go to the barefootdefender.com um, tell us a little bit about that Stephen I mean you end up a very credible spokesman for what's happening in part because because of what happened to you? Well, in 2017, a madman came into Sutherland Springs, Texas, and started shooting through the walls and the windows of a hundred year old church and uh, murdering people. He, he went in the front doors, shooting through the front doors, and then we went from pew to pew. And I grabbed a AR 15 out of my safe uh, and they, they're trying to say that AR-15s aren't defensive guns. Uh, I beg to differ. I grabbed an AR-15 out of my safe, and I ran across the street. I engaged a shooter. I hit him six out of six rounds. He had on Class Three body armor mm-hmm. and a ballistic bulletproof helmet, and he shot at me. He hit the truck in, that I ran behind for cover. He hit the truck in front of me, hit the car behind me, and he hit the house behind me. I put six out of six rounds on him. Pam, okay. And then I uh, I chased him down the road and uh, where he committed suicide. I flagged down a truck and chased him 11.6 miles. He committed suicide. You can read the story and about my community on in my book called A Town Called Sutherland Springs. You can find that on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Please go to gunowners.org. We're the ones that are filing the lawsuits mm-hmm. and we're fighting and we're we're fighting for your rights to own guns, to, to bear arms. Do you um do you see what I, I when I asked you that question at the beginning it, it, I sometimes it feels like gun I, I mean gun ownership is higher than ever there's all kinds of things but people seem quieter about it is that am I misreading that Well if if you think it's quieter maybe you're not watching as well because, <laughs> uh we actually got um the assault weapons ban overturned in California even and um it it's on appeal now and so it's still illegal until the appeal is heard we also got prop 114 in Oregon overturned uh we got a red flag law in New York overturned just recently uh we had a big win in the courts in New York because after the Bruin decision New York decided that they would okay fine we'll make it so hard for you to get your permit that you won't and they tried to say that they needed 5 years of your previous social media uh so they could go through your life and decide whether you should be able to carry a gun or not we got that overturned we got it overturned where they were saying that you had to have express written consent to buy any private owned business or anything to carry within their business. Uh, we got that part overturned and we got it 
overturned were places of faith, like churches and stuff. Now they can they can carry their permits in places like churches and things. Mm. Well, I, I, and what and what I really meant, I didn't mean that there's not working going on and Gun Owners of America is a great organization. So I, I didn't. What I meant was I, I actually think a lot of people are sick of uh, being attacked uh, about it, you know, and, and they're just going about their business. They know their rights. They know their, you know, I was at an event over in, uh, on, in the swamp and um, even in Washington, D.C., they, they, you know, they have must issue laws as to concealed carry in in the in the district of columbia and so uh but i think people are less i don't know they're not they're not talking about as much they're just going about doing their business as you say to get things uh positioned where they need to to be protect themselves and their families so uh thank you for the time Stephen williford again is our guest his book which is available uh anywhere you buy books you can uh, track that down and you should um he is also with gun owners of america one of the uh, the book is called a town called sutherland springs by the way uh faith and heroism through tragedy uh and uh, gun owners of america you can tr- uh, go and see all the stuff they're doing gun owners org and again at um, Stephen's website the barefoot defender.com thank you for your time uh, best uh, wishes for uh, Holy Christmas and a new year hope 2024 is good uh, we have to take a break everybody we'll be right back it's Ed Martin here on the pro America report I'll put links to all that up on our social media I'll be right back This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Brett Kavanaugh were the Supreme Court justices who joined the liberal bloc to expand Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act in order to force an extraordinary override of a state legislature. The court overruled the will of the Alabama state legislature in order to create racial quotas for congressional districts. Roberts joined despite his ruling in 2013 that Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act was no longer needed. And Kavanaugh concurred despite his caveat that, quote, the authority to conduct race-based redistricting cannot extend indefinitely into the future, end quote. The fiction of liberals and federal courts pretending to prefer race-blind policies is laid bare by their racial quotas for redistricting. Every 10 years, a new census results in states redrawing their congressional districts to account for the shifting population and the gain or loss of a congressional seat. The Alabama legislature justifiably sought to keep its southwest Gulf Coast region within one congressional district because there's a common community of interest there, while plaintiffs sought to break it into separate districts in order to forge a second majority Democrat, majority black district. Democrats challenged the legislature's decision based on their theory about the Black Belt region of Alabama, so named for the color of its rich soil and not the color of its residents. The Alabama legislature included much of this region in a district where blacks comprised 42% of its population, which should have been enough. By racially balkanizing Alabama, the court reduces the likelihood that a black congressman can be elected statewide, as Tim Scott has been reelected as a senator in South Carolina. While the loss for the state of Alabama is great, an equal disappointment is the fact that the supposedly conservative Supreme Court would support this horrendous override of state sovereignty in the name of racially motivated redistricting. 
We should demand better, much better from our chief judicial officers. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues. Upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Chairman Helen Marie Taylor, Treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis in our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her Eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me rise uh, in defense, wait for it, of the media, of even big media, because I am usually critical of big media and the narrative machine, so-called, how the narrative machine is shaping what we believe is true, what we know. Uh, Of course, uh, big media working with big tech and big government, that's the narrative machine. You have to add in there big business. Uh, Someone told me it's a four-legged stool, not a three-legged stool. I think they're right. Uh, The narrative machine, big business, big government, big tech, and big media working together. Well, big media every now and then in the form of someone like the Wall Street Journal does have things that actually sound right and honest and honorable. And that is the case in a recent uh, article, recent essay by a woman named Kimberly Strassel, Kimberly A. Strassel. If you don't know Kim Strassel, she's a very good writer. Um, she's been um She's been writing on the pages of the uh, Wall Street Journal for, I, I don't know, maybe a decade. Uh, I think she may have started out as a, a member of the uh, board editorial board and more of an editorial board writer. Um, but she is now um, uh, one of the columnists also. Uh, actually, she's been, let me look at this. Yeah, she's actually been with the Wall Street Journal in various forms, including uh, as a staff writer uh, from back in 1996 uh, and spent some years in London with the Wall Street Journal there. Um, and uh, so she's wonderful. She's wonderful to read. She's thoughtful. I don't always agree with her, but she's a serious, serious writer, a serious uh, person. Uh, and at the Wall Street Journal, which does uh, perhaps um uh, change my equation. I may not be rising in defense of big media because the Wall Street Journal's reporting is still off, I think, and is still dominated by globalists and the big, uh, big government, excuse me, big uh, business folks, but, uh, the individuals like her, uh, who are editorial voices, who are uh, opinion writers, as well as, uh, being, uh, a thoughtful a person, uh, in terms of reporting, that's different. Um, she's a, uh, she's really smart. She's a Princeton grad. I knew that. I was wondering where, um, she went to school. So anyway, very impressive lady and uh, very worth reading. Well, she has a piece um, that captures really well in a, I don't know, 1500 words. Um, the problem that we've been, the place we've been put uh, by the left and the title is sandbagging the Supreme court, sandbagging the Supreme court by Kimberly Strassel. The subtitle is the best. The left's legal assault on Trump is a threat to the institution dash. And that's by design. So Kim Kim Strassel then goes into this piece and in in the piece, she basically says, look, um, you know, the 2024 election, you're going to have this uh, Supreme Court having to decide a bunch of aspects. Um, You know, the court imposed gag order in the January 6th case is a question. Uh, Jack Smith's um, uh, uh, document uh, case has all sorts of questions. There's immunity uh, questions, privileges and immunity. There's going to be aspects of uh, the Georgia case that probably come up. And of course, in the last 10 days, we've had the three 
Actually, I just mentioned uh, a presidential privilege and immunity, but then the 1512 argument about the law being used inappropriately by the Department of Justice against individuals and Trump, and also then the Colorado state court decision to take him off the off the ballot. And what she goes back and talks about is the Supreme Court has had to do this in the past. In 2000, they had to do Bush v. Gore, right? This is what that, what happened. And her point is the left set this up. The left set this up and and did this on purpose. She references how they they dusted off the 20 year sentences of the 1512 from a the Ox, Sarbanes Oxley Act of 2002. And they said, you know, this is I will try this. And she goes into and more importantly, she says there was a day when the professional class, in particular prosecutors and lower court judges, cared about institutions as much as about winning, not this crew. That's it right there. That's it right there. That that's and and the only thing I wish she would go on to say is where oh where are the lawyers who should be objecting to this, who should be saying about their colleagues, what she just said, and that there should be people up in arms in the legal community who are saying, you know, why is this happening? Why is this happening to the law that I love so much? Why is this happening to our system? It's we're supposed to be better than this. We're supposed to. uh, It's the wrong word, but it's kind of right. Police ourselves. And she says it very well. She says it very well, and and she captures it. It's not a lengthy um, uh, piece, um, and it's really worth uh, a read. So I, I will, I will. It's behind a paywall, I think. So I have to find out if it's. I'll find a link where it's available. But uh, it is really a valuable way of understanding uh, what is going on, and from someone who's a close observer, right? Who's looked closely at all this stuff and has a sense of what's going on. So Kim Strassel, thank you for doing that. And again, more importantly. Than anything, her opinion matters. I think she's right on her opinion, which she gets to the end and says, you know, this is these people don't seem to care about what's happening to our law, the law and everything else. But she marches through these very specific uh, examples so that you're not just talking. If you're if you're talking about this or thinking about it, you're not just talking or thinking about it out in the in the uh, in the wild in terms of you know your thoughts. You have a way to move through the cases that are happening and. Again, to finish with this, as she says, the left's legal assault on Donald Trump and we the people, I'd I'd add we the people, is a threat to the Supreme Court. And that's by design. And that's by design. That really feels right to me. That really feels like um, the the truth of the situation. And it really should trouble us all. So there you have it. All right. Kim Strassel, Wall Street Journal. Great job. Always worth reading her. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to do that. Uh, thank you, as always, to the great Mason Mohan, our associate producer and our producer of this program, uh, Ryan Height. Uh, they do a lot of work to get the, the segments up. Please visit uh, phyllisschlafly.com. Sign up for our daily email, The Daily Wink there and also visit uh, proamericareport.com proamericareport.com and sign up for that substack there in the new year i will especially be writing uh, coming out of there you're going to see it coming out hot so we will um, uh, talk to you soon and be back tomorrow ed martin pro america report Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.